The state of Oregon was the first state in the union to decriminalize cannabis in 1973, but it took until 2015 to fully legalize sale and growth of the plant. Since then, it's been a battle in and out of courts on testing, licensing, and that delicate balance between supply and demand. Now, two of the largest cannabis business associations have merged to solidify their lobbying efforts and deal with some of the other issues that continue to plague that state. On In the Weeds this week, I talk to three Oregonians who are right in the middle of the challenges for growth in the cannabis business. How how big a deal is this? I think it's to- it's really huge for a couple of reasons. First of all, the um the market is really, really tough in terms of people making money. So if we're going to be spending money, supporting organizations, doing lobbying, um, connecting with other people, other licensees, that is all after, you know, we have to pay taxes on that money. So being able to consolidate our dues and then pay just one organization that will immediately increase the amount of funds that we have available so that we can be more influential. And then the second reason is just that we need to work together. And as this latest conversation with Aspergillus has proved, we need to actually be talking to each other and come up with strategy so that we can be stronger together and move the industry forward. Mary Ann's telling me is, you know, a very historic deal in in Oregon that these two associations have come together. Um, Explain how it all came out because you were right in the middle of it, weren't you? Uh, yeah, that, I, I'm definitely right in the middle of it. it, it the thing you got to understand is a small community, right? We all know each other. We all we all work together on these issues, and we worked uh, together on public policy with the with the OCA folks for many many years. So, you know, I think what it was is that, you know, there's a combination of both internal and external factors that made now the correct time for this merger to take place, and those internal factors were. Uh, just just the process of building trust between the boards of both of these organizations had matured. Um, and that's not something that happens overnight um, because both the boards of CIO and OCA uh, take the responsibility of their members into the broader cannabis community really seriously. And so, you know, it took a long time, I think, for that internal trust to build. And then the there was a catalyst in the form of a number of simultaneous crises that hit the Oregon cannabis industry. And we've had, you know, major political crises. Um, You know, we've had a regulatory agency that has, um, I don't, I don't want to say is in disarray, um, but has had some, some uh, significant challenges political and leadership wise over the last year. Um, You know, we have a legislature that, has been unable to uh, stay in session for the entirety of the session for I believe three of the last four legislative sessions. And um, and we've got federal changes on the horizon. And then you plug into all, so you got all of these external factors converging, right? Um, putting pressure on those of us that do this work to kind of, to, to speak with one voice and, and to make it all tie together and, and pull in the same direction. And, you know, enter this aspergillus crisis, right? And, and the funny thing about this whole story, the part Myron's being a little, a little, um, a little humble about, um, he, you know, he pitched the idea of CIAO um, signing on and, and helping um, run and fund this litigation. And, um, 
and I, I told him to go pound sand originally. I was like, that's crazy. I don't, I don't want to sue the state. Like I, that's not in our members interest, but, but pretty quickly I started to reconsider that. Um, Myron kept working on me and other board members and, uh, and, and pretty, pretty soon we realized, you know, this is the, the way that we need to push back at this point in Oregon. Um, you know, if we don't have pathways that are effective through the legislature and through working with regulatory agencies, um, what we're left with is uh, is the third branch of government, and that's the courts. Um, and so that was a decision that we all collectively made, and it was the right decision. Um, on you know, Myron uh, kind of browbeat us into it, and we look back now and are grateful for that. And uh, and and so his leadership role was really critical, both in the Aspergillus um, lawsuit, and frankly, I think that the success that we had there. And what we all learned about what our future might look like from the Aspergillus um, debacle mm-hmm. was really informative um, because all of a sudden now we realize like if you got a couple of remediation companies that can dump what I'm sure equates to hundreds of millions of dollars in costs on the national industry with zero scientific justification and get away with it for years. What that means is that we've got to be more effective at, at managing the messaging, managing these processes. And really that's what this, this merger is all about. So, you know, it's a time of high anxiety, but it's also a time where we're, we're pretty hopeful and we're, we're stoked to, to, you know, try out the new wheels and see how they run. It's amazing to me coming at the from the East Coast and knowing the history of your state that you all need to go to the court system to get change at this point. But but what does that say about Massachusetts and New York? Are we going to spend the rest of our lives looking at, you know, for change? We're going to have to go to the courts for this. By the way, it's one of the reasons why I don't I'm not a proponent of legalization because it involves lawyers and politicians. <laughs> true. Okay. It's true. And and we are working with New York, actually. There's some researchers in New York, Cornell University, that are actually putting out some white papers uh, about this because New York was one of the first states actually to acknowledge that aspergillus was a problem. And they actually got rid of their testing because of the effects it was having on their uh, state farmers, especially their outdoor. Um, by any chance, do you know the Dr. Carlin in at Cornell? Um, she's in the, I think, the botany world. Um, what's her first, first name? name? First name is Carlin, and that's just the unique name. I was actually trying to get the. Uh, the I'm, uh, I'm good friends with Daniela, who okay. works uh, Daniela, and then uh, we were on a call the other day with a gentleman. I believe his name is David, who organized the entire thing. But um, if you do need them, like I have contacts there. Carlin Buckler is her name, and um, I met her. She's probably one of them. Yeah, I, I was going to say. All I know is she's one of the smartest people I've ever met and interviewed. Um, now you guys got to realize I was a sportscaster for thirty years, so the the bar is low. Okay, <laughs> you're being too hard on yourself. But you know, it's amazing the microbiologists that we've been able to talk to that have actually you know started out a little bit you know, concerned and a little not 100% into what we're doing or, you know, being very cautious. And then after they've talked to us and we've really talked it through, have started being like, I agree with you guys. This is ridiculous. Let's see what we can do. The more and more, like, the top of the top researchers in the country, actually internationally, on uh, mold, spores, and hemp and cannabis are actually now on our side. Yeah. That's, look, the more science you can have to back everyone's hope to get this 
plant finally recognized and normalized in our society is is positive. Uh, I'm a little concerned about what the news is coming out of our nation's capital again, that they continue to have issues trying to elect somebody to run the House of Representatives. And we're dysfunctional right now as a as a country and as a political system. And it it's very concerning to me, especially for someone who's advocating to help people like you uh, move this forward, because I'm not that very uh, I'm glad I don't have a farm. OK, because I, I'm not quite sure I would be looking forward to that. Uh, me, all I get to do is talk about this stuff. Uh, so my, I guess uh, lastly, I just want to get each. How important is it to get the Safer Banking Act finally approved and open up the banks to the industry? Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Go ahead. Um. <laughs> I think there's a lot of really interesting aspects to talk about around safe banking. Um, you know, I think that there is no doubt that, you know, they're, you know, switching, switching for a second, the 280E <coughs> and all of the consequences, especially for larger cannabis companies um, is, uh, is catastrophic. Um, but there's also a world in which, um, you know, the changes to the availability of capital and the locations that can be selected and used for retail with banknotes on them from major national lenders, you know, the slow change in, um, in you know, covenants on real estate, et cetera, is, is, is going to make for a whole new world. Um, how and how quickly it changes things is kind of anybody's guess, but you know, that the broader national cannabis market has been governed by a lack of capital for the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, that really, if there's a story, that's what it is, right? So you come into, and you know, you know this, you come into 2020, 2020, early 21, the numbers are looking great. Everybody's going gangbusters, raising all this money, deploying all this capital. And now companies are looking around trying to figure out how to clean up their balance sheets because there is no more, nothing left. Right. Um and so, you know, with safe banking passing, I think it changes a lot. Um, one of the funny things, however, is that normalized business loan interest rates are now creeping up closer to what we were paying on hard money, um, you know, a year and a half ago, right? So so that's kind of one of the other really funny things to think about here is like, say, you know, yeah, it's, it's helpful. But I mean, if, if standard bank interest rates go to 14%, it's like, you got to kind of wonder what that does. So. You know, I don't know. I think, Jimmy, there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that have thought a lot more effectively on this than I have. But the one thing I can say is it will definitely create significant changes, um, most of which will be positive for most industry members, some of which will be really scary. Right. And that's Myron. Uh, do you echo Mike's thoughts there? I do. Um, well, I, one thing I do have to say, though, there is banking banking alternatives that are out there right now. So many of us do have bank accounts that are cannabis friendly accounts. They're expensive. They're not great. There is no money to be borrowed. But I think one of the things that Mike did bring up, 280E, which is much more tied to, you know, classification and uh, of, of where we are is actually, I think, a much bigger issue and will have much bigger implications across the entire spectrum, especially since, you know, most of the reason why dispensaries have no money and are relying basically on farms to capitalize their businesses is the fact that, 
they are paying such high taxes. They get the highest taxes. They're, you know, farms, we are lucky because of our cost of goods situation, but the fact that they're paying so much in taxes really sets the ball in motion where they don't have the money to pay their taxes, their vendors, and then that snowballs down. So actually that to me would be a bigger issue, but it's a lot more complicated. No. Marianne, you get the last word on this just because you put this whole group together and I so appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait one day to get out to Oregon and play um, Band and Dunes. That's all I can tell you guys, because that's on my bucket list uh, once I can actually swing a golf club again. But let's not talk about my body. All right. <laughs> my husband's right there now. Um, he's, he's there today oh, right? playing golf. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a, look, I've seen the photos. It's spectacular, uh, the whole thing. So, Marianne, back to the serious nature of what we're talking about. The impact of safe banking, what will that have on your particular business? The um, the biggest issue for us is what Myron and Mike already talked about is 280E, but I I think the impact on the larger organ on the larger cannabis industry cannot be overstated simply because if we're able to finally pass some legislation at the federal level that that means that that opens up the conversation to really how do we really normalize cannabis, and then the other small example that I think can also be hugely impactful is that employees like my employees now who work for me they do not qualify to go buy a home and use their cannabis derived income for a mortgage even oh, though it's completely yeah. legitimate they pay taxes on it all of that they can't go get a mortgage so it really hamstrings all of the employees who are doing you know just doing their jobs and i know for a fact there are banks in massachusetts that are allowing mortgages to be had by cannabis employees. So again, you know, every state has different rules and regulations. And um, I'm, I'm just, I, I got to tell you, one of the most incredible things I've learned is I thought Oregon and Washington State and Colorado were way ahead of where Massachusetts <laughs> is now. And they're not, you know, it, it's just, it has, uh, I, I get it because in the, it was a different atmosphere 10, 15 years ago than it is now. I think we can all agree that there's been some positive uh, movement. Mike, you're dying to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a really important aspect to to that conversation. Um, and, you know, Oregon definitely has the first mover disadvantage um, when it comes to this. But um, the flip side of that coin is that nobody, and I mean nobody, has the product diversity, quality, and retail pricing available that Oregon does. You walk into an Oregon dispensary, and believe me, I, at least I haven't worked everywhere, but I've I've worked in a lot of states in my role at Nectar. Um, nobody's even close. And when you can come in and buy, you know, a ten pack of Nano gummies that are a live rosin product that are absolute top of the market, perfect, and you're paying like eleven bucks or something for that, you know what what it tells you is it's been difficult on companies but if you can learn to survive in oregon you can survive anywhere and so the kind of business acumen married to experience you know oregon has the closest thing in the nation to best practices established um and so are we hurting yeah is it tough yeah but you know when people have more powder dry and they're looking around to find operators that really know what they're doing. This is, this is going to become, I believe the brain trust of the national cannabis industry because we've been through it and we're battle tested. Right. I like that idea and uh, anything that moves this thing forward. Well, Mike, I so appreciate it. Congratulations on getting this done because I know you worked hard. 
<laughs> Go ahead and party now. You can. Marianne, again, thank you. I was so excited to see you. You got you in that in the um, story that KOI ended. Um, and, and last, I'm going to ask you guys, does the television market, the local news cover cannabis the right way in your neck of the woods? I think so. Um, the reporters, I think, do a good good job of asking questions and being informed and understanding. Um, Mike has a really good longstanding relationship with a number of reporters. And, you know, I think us being professional towards them just gives them a reason to be professional back towards us. And we have a lot of mutual respect and um, they they operate with integrity. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate media that operates with integrity as well. Uh, and, I, and I'm very proud of what we've built here at uh, Pro Cannabis Media. Um, that's going to, I'm going to wrap this thing up on recording because I, I definitely want to play the whole thing, but I'm going to play that separately from the news. Um, it'll, it'll be a standalone special in the weeds kind of a thing. That's what I'm doing now, Marianne, is I'm mm-hmm. you know, producing the news show, but the extra stuff that I'm adding into the new show, I'm making into the In the Weeds podcast, which is the, our longest running, most uh, downloaded and all that neat stuff. So-